please remain standing and turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down into the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Hey friends and welcome. Uh, it's good to be back with you. However, I'll be honest, uh, it was really nice to be away too. Uh, Amanda and I took some much needed vacation, uh, what will likely be one of our last major trips. And if you're curious as to why that is, please come talk to me afterwards. Um, but it's good to be back. Uh, if you're new this morning, um, or if you're listening for the first time on the podcast, uh, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, my name's Brooks. Um, I'm one of the leaders here at True North, and we are a community committed to leading lives pointed by Jesus and pointing to Jesus. So it's great that you're here, and I'd love to meet you afterwards. Um, but let's get right in with a word of prayer. Holy Spirit, would you come and meet us where we are now? Speak to us through this psalm of lament, Lord. Um, convict us and, and make us receptive to the ways that you want to shape us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, back in January, we had our first ever True North staff retreat. The goal was to get away from the hubbub of our usual daily grinds and rhythms, to be alone with God, to talk about our vision for the year, to do some planning, uh, and really just to get to know each other a bit more. It was team building time. Uh, so it wasn't all serious planning and praying time. It wasn't just hours in the woods with nothing but our Bibles and journals, even though there was a lot of that. And I know that sounds like fun for more than just myself, but we did play games. There was laughter. I think we all had fun, right? Those of you who were there, 
Yes, awesome. Uh, anyway, on our, on our last evening, to continue a weekend of relationship building, uh, we played this little card game called Let's Get Real Bro. I say it's a card game, it's packaged and marketed like a card game, but it's really just a sneaky way to get into bonding and even quasi-therapy. Like, depending on how deep you want to go, there are some really personal questions wrapped up in a, a bro-y, guy-safe package, perfect for, well, bros. And girls, too, but the game is marketed toward bros because the universe knows how much help we need uh, at getting real with each other. We went through the question cards, uh, gradually increasing the level of depth with each question. I think the levels go, level one is like kinda real, level two is called pretty real, and then level three, super blank real. <laughs> and in the mix was this question. What is your go-to mansplain? In fact, let me ask the question right now to all of you out there. <laughs> What's your go-to mansplain? Who here has ever mansplained? <laughs> well, guess what? You're wrong. Uh, and you know, the reaction was the same at our retreat. So revealing. Uh, the guys, with the exception of myself, of course, because I am self-aware, uh, just kidding. Uh, the guys were like, what? Me? I'm not so sure. I'll have to really think about that one. Uh, the women, on the other hand, were like, ha! Uh, are you serious right now? And then this launched into story after story that started like, there's this one time at the gym, this bro comes up to me and says blank. Or, oh, that reminds me of another time. This dude just came up to me at Starbucks and said blank. All the while, us guys were either looking totally bashful and embarrassed or just completely ignorant. So it was hilarious and yet painful all at once. Friends, this was indicative of two things. And here's sermon point one and two. First, guys are clueless. Uh, mansplaining is a condition that affects most unsuspecting men. Chances are a majority of the guys in this room have mansplained without even realizing it. Second, and by the way, I'm joking, these aren't actually our sermon points, but this second point does kind of tie in. Second, by and large, we as a culture and community are confused about how to listen to and, and to be with people, specifically people going through grief or hard times. It was Mother's Day just two weeks ago. And if you grew up in the church, you'll know that it's a time in which the pastor preaches a message about moms or spiritual moms. Uh, little kids get up to sing a song about their moms. And then we have all the moms up on stage to receive flowers. And this is great. And moms should be celebrated. And heck, I mean, the, the pageantry is kind of fun, I guess. Um, but we have to confront the fact that it's a little more complicated than that. In our last teaching, we talked about the fact that life in a sin-torn world, with the hope of Jesus in sight, is a complicated life. It's a life of hope, but it's also not a life of constant happy, happy, happy. It's complicated. There is tension. And we feel that even more on days like Mother's Day. As we celebrate moms who are present, which we should, 
What about the moms who are not present? What about the moms that we lost? What about the moms who walked out? What about the moms who couldn't be moms? What about the women who dream of motherhood but can never fully realize their dreams? Isn't Mother's Day for them a day in which these terrible realities are magnified? Does the pageantry just patch things up or does it amplify the pain for some? For my wife and I, this Mother's Day was incredibly complicated. As many of you know, we suffered two miscarriages in 2021. I lost my mom when I was in college. And so we entered Mother's Day with heaviness, hoping to find comfort, but receiving, for the large part, silence. And I, I don't bring this up for the sake of self-pity or to guilt trip anyone, because I've been on the other end too. I've been the one to completely overlook the grief of a friend, forgetting about it and thereby essentially abandoning them to their sorrow. Or I've been the one to quickly jump to fixing mode, you know, attempting to offer solutions and remedies, trampling all over the human need to grieve. And so I bring all this up to point out a reality. We have serious trouble dealing with the grief of others. Either we jump to trying, probably with good intentions, to offer solutions and advice, hoping to fix things and bring relief, or when we don't know what to say, we remain silent. And we act as if nothing's wrong, as if acting as though there were no pain would make that reality. Or we're just plain forgetful or, or too self-absorbed. But to do either of these things, to do any of these things, is to perpetuate a culture in which grief and pain are swept under the rug. Over the past couple weeks, we've been confronting the reality that we so often fall into the trap of either idolizing our sorrow, making it our identity, or we avoid and repress our sorrow. Both responses are ungodly, but also inhuman. To lament is to be fully human. And to lament is to lean into the steadfast love of our Heavenly Father. A Father to whom we can cry out to. So friends, how do we rejoice with those who rejoice, but also weep with those who weep? How do we avoid stifling the lament of others and belittling the grief and sorrows that we all inevitably experience at some point or another. Hopefully you still have your Bibles open to Psalm 88. If not, go ahead and flip there now. Psalm 88. The first thing to take note of here is the authorship. Over the past couple of weeks, the Psalms we've looked at were written by David. Psalm 88, however, was written by the sons of Korah, specifically a guy by the name of Haman. Now, we won't get too deep into history here for the sake of time, but many descendants of a group called the Korahites served in the court of King David, one of whom was named Haman. There are 11 psalms written by the sons of Korah. You can imagine them as sort of the, the worship leaders of their day, uh, which would mean that psalms of lament the practice of lamenting was a regular part of worship for the ancient Israelites. 
Now, even though there is so much cause for lamentation all around us today, the practice of lamenting as a community is something that we, for the most part, have lost or neglected. Another unique thing about Psalm 88, uh, and I would say uniquely difficult, but also uniquely beautiful, is that this psalm does not have a happy ending. Psalm 13 starts with, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? But it ends with, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 42 has lines like, My tears have been my food day and night. Very dramatic. But it ends with, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 88, however, starts with, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. A promising start. But then it ends with, You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Or as the NIV has it, Darkness is my closest friend. And the main body of the psalm offers no reprieve, no hope in sight. Take a look at verses 3 through 5. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead. Like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. Then in verse six is, verses 6 and 7, the lament gets more pointed. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. The psalmist seems to be attributing the sorrow to God here. And we think, uh, is, is that allowed? Jump to verse 14. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Take a moment to read that again to yourself. Oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? This is then punctuated by the refrain. You have caused my companions to shun the first thing I want to talk about today is loneliness. Loneliness and separation. And this is point one. Who here has ever felt completely alone in their sorrow and pain? Who here has ever felt completely alone in their sin and their, and their struggles? Have you ever felt like your sadness or struggle was uniquely your own, that, that no one else understood, or that it was completely overlooked, unknown to others, or that people would try to explain it away somehow? The feeling of being misunderstood is alienating. The feeling of being overlooked is alienating. The feeling of grief that lasts longer than you think it should is alienating. We start to feel as if something's wrong with us, or that no one cares, or that our faith must not be strong enough. And when everyone around us seems to have it all together, it's alienating. 
And the fact that it's a repeating refrain here in Psalm 88 is oddly comforting. It's oddly comforting because it acknowledges the harsh reality that is loneliness. It acknowledges the fact that loneliness is real, that it's terrible, and that we must not repress it or try to numb it, but that we should lament it, and that we should lament it as a community. So why do we feel this? Why do we feel loneliness, separation, and alienation? Let's find its roots. At the beginning of Genesis, we find Adam and Eve living in perfect relationship, both with God and with each other. Genesis chapter 2 verse 25 states, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Adam and Eve knew each other completely and fully and had nothing to hide. Perfect relationship. There was no misunderstanding or mistrust. There was no self-consciousness or insecurity. Imagine that. But then the serpent tempts Eve, not by coming outright and telling her to disobey God, but by sowing seeds of mistrust. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any fruit in the garden? You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. The serpent gets Eve to mistrust God. He gets Eve to question their relationship. And Eve takes the fruit, eats it, gives it to Adam, who's there the whole time, and the effects are felt immediately. Chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. A direct contrast to what we read earlier when they were both naked and felt unashamed. Here we see the first instances of alienation and broken relationship. They essentially hide from each other. And to this day, we do the same thing. We put on fig leaves. We put on skimpy coverings and masks to hide our true selves. We hide behind our multiple identities, our achievements, our online and social media personas, behind our aloofness and our jokes and humor. Skimpy coverings that backfire because they get in the way of real connection. The passage goes on. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They're hiding from God. The perfect relationship that they once enjoyed has been broken. Let's pick it up in verses 23 and 24. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Friends, here we see the root of loneliness, separation, and alienation. It's sin. Now turn back to Psalm 88 and let's read verses 3 through 8 through the lens of Genesis. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. 
I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. Loneliness, separation, and alienation are the very real damages that sin inflicts on relationship. At the root of the desire to hide is sin. At the root of the desire to repress and ignore is sin. At the root of the desire to mask and cover up is sin. Sin keeps us in the dark. Sin keeps us away from the light of Christ. Sin keeps us away from community, away from reconciliation and real connection and closeness. Sin keeps us away from healing. Because of sin, we feel alienated. We are prone to alienation and, and self-isolation. Sin has us either fall into the pit of self-pity or into the trap of self-isolation, where we lose sight of our need for community and the people who love us, and we lose sight of the love of Jesus. But on the other side of the same coin, sin keeps us blind to the hurt that others feel. Sin keeps us ignorant to the sadness and pain of others. Sin makes it easy to neglect others and focus only on our own needs. Sin makes it easy to overlook the struggles of others. Sin breeds self-centeredness. It makes it easy to be self-absorbed. And then it cultivates complacency towards others. Because of sin, we alienate others. Because of sin, we struggle to weep with those who weep. We get so fixated on ourselves that we lose sight of the needs of others. To boil it down, we fail to love others, but we also fail to be loved by others. And so the psalm concludes, You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. So, is there hope? Is there hope in this psalm? As the psalmist writes, I cry out day and night before you. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Is there hope? Let's look back at Genesis 3. Verse 9 states, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Adam and Eve have just sinned. They've just patched together fig leaf coverings for themselves. And now they're hiding from God. But God goes looking for them. Jump to verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and, co and clothed them. God sees their measly coverings that don't really work and gives them something better. He gives them garments of skin. And to this we must ask, where did God get the skins? 
God gives them better coverings, but something has to die. An animal had to die to provide these coverings. And so this tells us two things. In our alienation, God takes the initiative. He comes to us. And two, God makes sacrifices to be with us and care for us. And this launches the theme and narrative that plays out over the course of centuries. You can sum up the Bible as one long story of God's love. One long story of God coming after us to bring us back into right relationship with him and with each other. So let's bring it back to our question. Is there hope in this psalm? Is there hope for the loneliness, the separation, and alienation that we feel? Is there a bridge to repair the damage done by the fall? Something to bridge the relational gap between us and God and each other? A paradigm that we've read each psalm through over the past couple of weeks has been relationship, remembrance, resolve, and rejoicing. Lament leads to remembrance. As we lament the loneliness, separation, and alienation that we both feel and inflict on others, we remember this truth. God takes initiative, and God sacrifices for us, and we see and experience this through Jesus. Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is the bridge between us and God, and the bridge between each other. As we lament, we remember exactly who Jesus went to. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus constantly going to those who were alienated. He went to the poor, to the lepers, the prostitutes, tax collectors, foreigners, and Gentiles. Jesus specifically went to those who felt lonely, to those who were marginalized, cast out, and rejected by society. When we read Psalm 88, when we lament for ourselves and for others, for the loneliness that we experience, we put ourselves in the shoes of the leper forced to live outside the city walls, away from human contact, rejected for his condition. But we also remember and celebrate the fact that Jesus, by healing him, restores him to society. Jesus tells him to go and show himself to the priests. And in doing so, Jesus reintegrates him into the community. He is the bridge to relationship. When we lament, we put ourselves in the shoes of the Samaritan woman at the well, who was already alienated by the Jewish population for being a Samaritan. But judging by the fact that she went to draw water out of the well in the middle of the day when no one else was around, was also alienated by her own community. Jesus goes to her and meets her where she is. And so we remember and celebrate that our Lord Jesus is a God who meets us where we are and goes to us in our loneliness. In our loneliness and alienation, we have a God who takes the initiative and comes to us. Jesus steps into our loneliness and our pain. He doesn't shy away or remain at a distance. Jesus enters our sorrow and pain. He enters into our full experience, the joy as well as the grief. 
And we know this because we know he faced the same loneliness, alienation, and separation. We know he faced rejection by his own people and even his own siblings. We know he faced the hatred of those around him. We know that even his closest friends didn't always get him. When Jesus talks about going to the cross, we even see Peter mansplaining him. We know that his best friends deserted and abandoned him when he needed them most. And so friends, if you are lonely, if you are feeling alienated or cast out, know that Jesus entered into and experienced that same loneliness and alienation. He actually knows what you feel, and he feels it with you. Lastly, we know that Jesus experienced the ultimate separation. Separation from God, the Father. Earlier, I said that we have a God who comes to us and sacrifices for us. Jesus, by taking our sin upon him, faced the excruciatingly painful separation from his heavenly Father. We hear him lament, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, Jesus took on the greatest separation, the most painful loneliness, so that we would never have to face the worst separation and loneliness, so that we would never have to fear God forsaking us. By spilling his blood for us on the cross, Jesus bridges the ultimate divide caused by sin. He bridges us back to God our Heavenly Father. When we lament, we remember that Jesus is the bridge to relationship. And this leads us to resolve. This is point three. Be a bridge. Be a bridge to Jesus and a bridge to real relationship and community. Church, let us be bridges in the way that Jesus was a bridge. Jesus did it by being a presence. He steps into our human experience and our pain and stays with us there. He attentively and tenderly cares for us. He sees and knows all of us and remains with us. A presence of steadfast love. And this is our calling. When Paul writes, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. He's not calling us to be fixers. Jesus is the fixer. We are merely called to be a presence. We are called to be a presence in the lives of those who are lonely, those who are marginalized, and those who are hurt. We are called to be a presence of hope to those who are hopeless. We're called to be a listening presence to those who feel unheard or voiceless. We are called to be a non-anxious presence to those stricken by anxiety and stress. We are called to be a presence of peace to those who don't have peace. We're called to be a presence of love to those who feel unloved. Friends, our application today is simple. First, ask God to give you a heart for those who are hurting. Ask him to lead you to those in need. They might be at your workplace, at school, at the bus stop, in your friend groups and social circles, or they might even be in your own family, in your own house. It might even be someone in your midst right now. Step into the experience of, and possibly the pain 
of someone in your life and be with them. Secondly, be a patient and attentive listener. Take the time to learn the needs of someone. Make every effort to learn and feel their grief. Weep with those who weep. Pray for them and with them. Praying for someone is a great way to get straight to their deepest needs. And lastly, stay. Stay there with them. Stay with them for as long as it takes, through the ups and the downs. Stay with them to weep with them. And stay long enough so that you can rejoice with them too. But just stay. Sometimes the staying is the hardest part. We would rather offer quick fixes to get back to the happy times. But the love is in the staying, not in how well you conjure up solutions. Stay in the way that Jesus always stays. Be a constant presence of hope, love, and peace in the way that Jesus is. This is how we are the body of Christ here and now. Be a presence. Lament with others. Now, maybe you're on the other end. Maybe you are the one lamenting in loneliness, feeling alienated and isolated. If this is you, then my heart goes out to you. But I pray that you would also stay. Resolve to stay long enough for the love of community to surround you. Stay long enough for your heart to realize the love of Jesus for you. Resolve to keep praying, to keep petitioning. I know there are some of you who are just on the verge of calling it quits. You don't feel any change in your life. You don't feel the, the presence and love of God in your life. And maybe you're not even at a point where you want change. But stay. Don't leave right before something big happens. Realize that Jesus loves you in your broken state and that he wants to enter into your life and experience to be with you and stay with you. Realize that he knows your exact pain and that he wants to stick by your side through all of it and that there is healing, there is hope, and there is joy on the other end. This psalm and this lament remind us that in this life, a lot of times there there are no easy fixes. It reminds us that sometimes all we can do is cry out. Just as the psalmist here resolves to cry out in the midst of loneliness and hopelessness, cry out and then continue to cry out to the one who does hear. Cry out to the one who listens and cares, to the one who has done something about your pain, the one who is doing something right now, and the one who promises healing. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have taken the initiative and that you have made the sacrifice to be with us to mourn with us, to endure suffering with us, and to know us. And we thank you that by your work on the cross, 
that we can be in relationship again with, with, with God, our Heavenly Father. We thank you for, for, that, for you, that because of your work, we can be in right relationship with each other. And said, Jesus, I ask that you would move us to step into the experience of someone else. Move us to enter into the grief and the pain of those around us. Move us to lament with others so that we would in turn rejoice with others. In your name I pray.